Good morning. Turn in your Bibles, please. I'm going to give you two passages. First is Matthew 5, 31, and the other is Matthew 19, 1 through 9. We'll mostly be in Matthew 19, believe it or not. Um, but, uh, but Matthew 5, 31 is kind of our kickoff, and then we'll be in Matthew 19, 1 through 9, the rest, rest of the way. So if you're, if you're uh, just getting back into the church groove or visiting with us, a little context here. So we're going through the book of Matthew verse by verse. Um, we started back before Christmas, and we're now working our way right through the, the gospel of, of Matthew. And we're uh, in the back end of Matthew. Here's what Jesus, right in the middle, kind of the back end of Matthew chapter 5. And here's what Jesus is doing in this very famous sermon, the, the Sermon on the Mount. He is describing or defining um, the, this, what it means to be a citizenship, citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He's defining what Christians look like. Um, and so he starts with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. And then he begins to apply the principles of the Beatitudes to different areas of our life. And if you look in Matthew chapter 5, you can kind of see a, the, the pattern. Um, now, that since we're taking it so slowly, it's much more easy to see this, this pattern. But if you look at Matthew 5, 21, where he talks about murder, and then he, and he says, well, you know, really the, the same heart that murders is the, is the heart that's angry. We've got a heart problem. Not a, you know, no amount of not murdering is going to solve the heart problem when you're angry in your heart. Right, so we've got we've got a heart issue. So he does murder and anger, and then he does adultery, uh, which we talked about last week. Um, and now we're coming to this this description of uh, this Jesus is teaching on divorce. So the thing that's really interesting to me at a high level at this point where we are, have you noticed that Jesus is picking things that involve relationships? Jesus understands something that we we need to understand that that. Who we are in our relationships with other people is super important to the, to, to, as to its demonstration of the effectiveness of the gospel in our, in our life. Um, we, in the same way that you kind of are who you hang out with, right? You, one, of the, one of the things that I spent a lot of time studying in youth ministry was the, you know, the, the effect of relationships on the lives of teens. Where, where they went to school, what kind of school, all that matters. And it, it matters. relationships matter a significant amount. And Jesus is bringing the gospel to bear on our relationships. He's bringing kingdom citizenship, kingdom of heaven citizenship to bear on our relationships. And he's, and he's getting at the heart. He's getting at the heart. And marriage, as we saw last week, is a huge, huge part of proclaiming the gospel to the world. The, the, a, a man marrying a woman, that's a that's a covenant thing. And, um, and, and so you would expect that this, this topic would, would be very, very important to Jesus, very, very important to the Bible, and very, very important to the health of our, our spiritual health, to the health of the church, the relationships in the church, and as a witness in a relationship out into the world. And it is. So as, as a way of getting started, let me just, you could, I, I'm a little nervous, <laughs> as you could probably tell. Um, but it was because of my, I'm, I'm sensitive, okay? So there's a history of divorce in my family. I was 17 when my parents divorced and both have been remarried. Um, my dad has been married nearly 25 years now, remarried nearly 25 years. My mother remarried before she, she passed away, obviously. 
divorce on Holly's side of the family, nationwide, Christian or not, 45% of all marriages that include second, third, or fourth, or fifth, or however many there are, um, or can be, um, 40% of all first marriages end in, in divorce. That's 30% if you're a confessing Christian um, who actually goes to church with some regularity. So there's some just statistical support there, right? This touches everybody in the room in some shape, form, or fashion, okay? So I, it, and it profoundly impacts me as well. So I get it. It's hard and it is complicated. And if you've ever walked through a divorce or you're now single or if you've remarried or your parents are divorced, like just even talking about it can be a little traumatic, okay? So I, I get that because there's some anger and there's disappointment and there's regret and there's guilt. Um, it's, I've, I've heard my parents talk about uh, that it's easier for a spouse to die than it is for there to be a divorce. Like, it's that painful, right? So there's, there's, uh, there's just a lot that goes into talking about this. So I have two responsibilities. One is to, to be pastoral and to come alongside, help us all come alongside one another because this does touch everybody in some shape, form, or fashion. And also bring the, and secondly, I have to bring the, the truth of the scripture to, to bear on this issue. I wish, Lord, I wish, I wish there was like a story or a narrative or a parable about divorce. To, because those stories or narratives kind of like, let's, let's read a story together and have a difficult conversation about it through the story. Like, it's, like it could almost be a little bit easier to be palatable, but the, the way that divorce is discussed in the Bible is like a theological argument. <laughs> it's a theological conversation in the couple of places that it's mentioned. So when I'm, as I'm bringing the Bible to bear, it, it may sound like that I'm, that I'm, that I'm giving a lecture, you know, that I'm explaining like nuance and stuff. But I'm, I, don't want to, I don't want that to come across that way. But at the same time, that's kind of the way that the, the text is there. So just bear with me, okay? It's important to do this. If Jesus presented his converse thoughts about divorce in this way, there must be something to that. So we're going to trust. We're going to trust that what it is. And, and this is why. Because marriages are not going to be better by ignoring what Jesus says about marriage. We're not going to know how to live in the pain of divorce, which happens if we don't understand what Jesus is, is saying to us about, about marriage. We're just not. So we're, we're not going to be able to follow Jesus if we just turn a deaf ear to what he teaches. Okay? So today, Matthew 5, 31 and Matthew 9, 19. So recognizing what, what Jesus says in two short verses of Matthew 5, 31 and 32 about divorce, let's look at Matthew 19 together. Um, verses 1 through 9, much more, much more slowly. And here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do three things. Matthew 19, 1 through 9. Jesus is going to affirm the sanctity of marriage. Jesus is going to expose our hearts when it comes to marriage. And, and, and then, uh, thirdly, um, we, are, we, we are going to see how the gospel applies to uh, those of us who, who experience with or live with divorce. And we're going to talk about some ways to bring the gospel to bear. So that's, that's what's going on in the, in the text today. Okay. Number one, 
Jesus affirms the sanctity of marriage. This is implied in Matthew 5.31, just like we've been doing. But it's explicitly stated in Matthew 19. Look at verses 1 through 6. Here's the context. Jesus finished talking about uh, the, uh, the parable of my forgiving servant. And he departs from Galilee, and he goes to the region of Judea across the Jordan, and large crowds followed him. This is still happening, even though he's been talking about very interesting things. He's healing people like crazy, and people are following him. And some Pharisees, teachers of the law, approached him to test him, and they asked him. Their, their, their intent and their goal is to test Jesus, right? To not Maybe or maybe not to catch him, but to, to get at an understanding of his interpretation of the law. And they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? And then Jesus affirms the sanctity of marriage. Look what he says in verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh? Haven't you read that? So Jesus says, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore... What God has joined together, let no one separate. So you see what Jesus does here. Jesus takes a a conversation that was meant to be a legalese, technical, nuanced, back and forth. Yeah, what about this part, this part, this part? What about this situation, this scenario, idea about divorce that we're all very tempted to do because those circumstances exist and we have to live in them. But Jesus takes that discussion and he goes right back to the very beginning of the Bible, right back to the creation account, and he reinforces something about marriage that we forget quickly. And that is that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And there are lots of implications for what that means about marriage with regard to singleness, with regard to issues related to gender, with regard to gay marriage and things like that. But the main thing that Jesus is bringing to bear here is that marriage is not a civil agreement. It's a holy covenant. Okay? Jesus points out that marriage is something in which two people become one person. And when a marriage happens, there are certain ties that are broken from family and they're permanently replaced with the creation of a new family. And so regardless of any kind of legal agreement that might take place later through a divorce, Jesus is saying the marriage happened and it can't be erased. It's a holy covenant. It's not a civil contract. Now, the fact that Jesus goes here when he's asked about the kinds of exceptions that might exist that can make a divorce acceptable, the fact that Jesus responds this way tells me this, that there's a pretty good number of issues related to marriage and divorce that could be resolved if we would just remember that it's a covenant and not a contract, right? And the difference between the two is can be imperceptible at first, but when you, when you closely examine it and you, you, can, you can see the differences at the very foundation of a, of a covenant mindset versus a contract mindset. Here's what I mean. A contract view of marriage 
believes that a marriage will last as long as the two people love each other. That's a civil contract view. But a covenant view of marriage believes that two people will love each other because they have committed to stay. See the difference? The contract view says, me loving you leads to me staying with you. But a covenant view says, loving is the staying. See that? So this is the view of marriage that Jesus is affirming. I'm going I'm to come to the, to the things. I'm going to come to the adultery, the abuse. I'm going to come to all that. Okay? But Jesus goes, whoa, 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 you're talking about all these different exceptions. Let's go back to the beginning. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. So this is the view that he is affirming. And no sooner was this view on paper than everybody started poking holes in it to find all the exceptions, which leads us to our second point, wherein Jesus, in this passage, uses our desire for a justification on technical grounds, and he turns that as a spotlight on our heart. Okay? Look at Matthew 19, verse 7 and 8 and 9. The response of the Pharisees is this. Why then, trying to get technical with Jesus, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? Well, that's not what happened, and we'll see that in a little bit. But Jesus' response in verse 8 and 9 says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus takes the foundation and he uses this as our push for for technicalities and, and nuance, and he shines it right into our hearts to help us understand what's going on with us, right? Here's how. We don't, I don't have time to get into all the, the nuances of the I really don't. I really don't have time to get into the, the nuances of the debate. Okay? If you want to read what's going on with the Pharisees and Jesus and understand what talking about, go look at Deuteronomy 24, um, and you can do that later. And that's kind of the source text that they're arguing over. Okay? And if you did that, what you'll see is that the, the Mosaic law wasn't a command or even permission to just very easily... File for a divorce if you were a, a man from a woman, right? What you will find is that it made divorce really hard. It made divorce difficult in a culture that otherwise would just allow men to abandon women on a whim and without any repercussions or consequences on them at all and all of the pain and all the frustration and all the harm and all the ill onto the woman. So the Mosaic law that the Pharisees are arguing about was not given to make divorce easy or permissible. It was given to make it hard for a husband to file it. And it was made to protect women through the process in a culture in which, women could, in which men could leave women really for any reason. And it was absolutely devastating to the, to the family. And that's what you'll see in Deuteronomy 24. The problem is that that's not the way the Pharisees were interpreting it now in this conversation with Jesus. Their teaching and the application of the law was that Moses permitted, if not encouraged, divorce 
for any reason, just as long as they did the paperwork. That was their practice in Jesus' day. Whatever the reason, it's some sort of, you know, it was a, it's a lost phrase of, of uncleanliness or some sort of indecent thing. We don't even really know what the Hebrew means directly because it was used so widely. It could be used for any, any, any purpose. But as long as you did the paperwork, the $365 version of divorce, right? That's, that's all you have to do. That's what they were doing. Which led them, this interpretation of the verse, led them right back down the road towards demanding divorce for any number of reasons because all they have to do is file the paperwork. Anything written on there would make it legal and therefore God must be okay with it because I am, after all, following the law. See what they're doing? Some Pharisees even felt that if a husband ceased to like his wife, that made her unclean and made it a legitimate divorce. Good Lord. And so Jesus' day, that culture, was starting to look a lot like Moses' day. You had a chaotic mess that resulted in a great deal of injustice and harm to women. But let me tell you, the paperwork was right. The law was being followed. So here with, with Jesus, the Pharisees have twisted and they've distorted the law on its letter, but they've completely missed the spirit. They completely miss the heart. They think so poorly of the covenant of marriage and it's become nothing more than a contractual relationship. They, the very law that Moses gave them to restrict divorce was now being used to encourage it and make it easy. That's how bad our hearts are. Okay? Which is why Jesus says what he says here in verses 8 and 9 and Matthew 5.32 as well. He comes to them and he gives them the context which is an absolutely necessary tool for accurate Bible interpretation and application. And Jesus points out that Moses' permission for divorce was made because of men's hard hearts that resulted in very poor treatment of women. It was bad on the family. It was bad for society. Moses did not grant it as part of the original provision of marriage. It's because everything was gone haywire, and so he had to put in boundaries to make it really hard for them to save the covenant. Okay? So what what Jesus is doing in these verses is he's pointing out that our hearts are so messed up that we just assume God is is as indifferent to the institution of marriage as we are. And that God's perfectly content with the divorce for all kinds of reasons as long as we file the paperwork. That's that's, That's a broken heart. That's a, that is a, a dark heart. And Jesus drives home the centrality of the idea that marriage is a covenant, not a contract with verse 9. I tell you, you've heard it said, get a certificate of divorce. That's what he, it's the same kind of mentality as what we saw in, in Matthew 5 so far. But I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another... He commits adultery. Here's what this means. 
It means that for a husband to divorce his wife and marry another woman means that he commits adultery in his second marriage. The second marriage violates the creation ordinance and thus is no marriage. Regardless of the legalities that you went through in a civil contract, you didn't break the covenant. The covenant, the, the, you're breaking the covenant in your marriage. It's, the first marriage doesn't get erased just because it doesn't exist in your civil world anymore. That's what Jesus means. And if a marriage is what the Bible says that it is, and it represents what Jesus says that it represents, then what Jesus says here is the only feasible, consistent thing. We cannot reasonably expect Jesus to say, I get it, don't worry about it. He's not going to do that with our marriages. Now I'm coming to the practical aspects of this, the, 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 so, the exceptions, if you will, okay? And how to apply those difficult situations from the text, okay? But we need to feel the weight of this, right? This, this can feel very un-Jesus-like. Like, where's the gentle and lowly Jesus when we need him? Right? Okay? Well, I'm glad, you, I'm glad that that came up. <laughs> glad you asked. Because what Jesus is doing is taking us right back to the Beatitudes. The only way that the Scripture gives us let me, let me back up. There, this is some of us. This is my family. Your family. We're all we're all affected by this, right? Some of this. This is you. Like I, we just read verse nine. And you said, "Well, in my second marriage, I've committed adultery." My dad, your parents. What? Like I get it. I get it. And the and the temptation is to say, "Well, I'm not going to preach about that." Lord knows, I'd rather not. Okay, if I'm being honest. But it's to, it's to ignore it. Like, I'm not going to bring it up. It's a sore subject. It's just, gonna, it's just a hornet's nest. It's going to be like, I, I, I get it. But the problem is avoiding gospel truth is a surefire way to never experience gospel love. Okay? The only way that Scripture gives us to actually be free of something is to confess it and repent from it. Otherwise, it will dominate you. But if you confess and repent, you're free. If you don't acknowledge the truth about marriage and divorce, you can't get there, and you leave yourself under the lie and condemnation of your own conscience and accusations of the devil. But if you face it, you give yourself the ability to work through the beatitude process. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Boy, if this verse 9 is you, are you not poor in spirit when you read this? Which makes you sad. Right? Beatitude number 2 which leads you to humility and meekness. Beatitude number three, which then makes you hungry for righteousness to follow Jesus in your life. Beatitude number four, and be a minister of mercy to those who have gone. Beatitude number five, and on down the road we go, right? That's what we have to do, okay? So that's why Jesus is there. Well, we gotta sit in that. And yet, Jesus does offer a concession. You see it in verse 9? What does he say? <clears throat> Whoever divorces his wife. And in this case, he says, except for sexual immorality. Why? Well, we talked about that last week with adultery, right? What is sex between a man and a woman? It is a physical reflection or manifestation of the covenant 
that has been taken place that everybody knows about, right? You've, you've, you have covenanted together, and, and the union that you experience when you're married physically is a reflection of that reality. So if that physical union takes place in a relationships outside of marriage, Jesus says, divorce is acceptable. And we can understand why, because there's such a connection between the covenant of marriage and the sex that represents it. Back to our conversation about that covenant. Okay. Jesus is effectively saying that the hardness of heart that Moses experienced comes back into play when that happens, and so the divorce is permissible. It's not required. Read the book of Hosea. Jesus uses an adulterous marital relationship to demonstrate his love for us, but it's permissible. It's permissible. So, what do we do? Well, we do. I, I want to show you four four things. Um, number one, I want you to consider the cost and live live by grace. So, verse nine is really hard to hear. And if that was you, great. It was the disciples too. Look at verse ten. Look at their response. His very single disciples said. His disciples said to Jesus, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. And I think that's the tone. Okay, I don't have the Hebrew accent, but I think that's the tone. Like it's, if this, then that. It is zeros and ones. It is binary. If that is true, if a marriage is that, then it is Better not to marry. Okay? In other words, consider the cost. That's what the disciples, that was their immediate reaction. Consider the cost. If you're a single person, I want you to know that if you want to get married, you're ending into a spiritual covenant, not a civil contract. You need to understand the repercussions of what you're getting into. There's not a person that's ever been through a divorce and said, ah, it's easy. No problem. Easiest, easy peasy. The billboards that say life is too short, get a divorce, they're exactly right. You you shouldn't even hesitate. Nobody says that. I'm coming to the exceptions. But we we understand. Consider consider the cost, okay? And when the disciples said that, look at verse 11. Jesus, Jesus gives an illustration, thankfully. He says, yeah, verse 11, not everyone can accept this saying. But only to those, only those to whom it has been given. You're right. Not everybody can live in a holy covenant of marriage. And before they get married, they need to consider the cost. You're right. But some will. They will they will receive the grace to embrace it and live by it. And then he gives an illustration, verse 12. He's like, think about eunuchs now, which is so weird. Like, I don't like ever thinking about eunuchs. But there, here we go. This is where we live. Jesus says, you know, think about the eunuchs. There are eunuchs who were born that way, genetic issues from their mother's womb, birth defects, etc. There are eunuchs who were made by men, okay, so they were castrated. And there are eunuchs who did it to themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that the claims of the kingdom 
of the citizenship of heaven override all other claims in our life. And for some people, that will mean they will be married. And for some people, it will mean they won't be if they give themselves to the claims of the kingdom. There's not one path of service for everybody. Everybody's got a different calling. But grace will be given so that whatever your calling is may be fulfilled. So when it comes to marriage, Jesus is saying that grace will be given to those called to serve God in their married state so that they'll be able to fill their calling through that, through that marriage, right? And he says, I'm, I'm, the grace will come. So consider the cost and wherever you end up in following the kingdom, God, he will grace, he will grace, he will empower, he will equip, he will give you what you need to live in that state. So that's number one, consider the cost and live in the grace. Number two, fight for, your, fight for marriage. Fight for yours if you're married, okay? Fight for marriage as a whole. I'll come to that in a minute, but fight for your marriage. And I think that's the main point of Jesus' teaching here is that the depravity of our hearts, and we have to, and we have to fight for the, the marriage. The Christian is not one who looks for all the reasons that divorce could happen. The Christian is the one fighting fighting, fighting for the covenant because of what it means. Okay? We have to give ourselves to fight for our marriages. We have to fight against past sin. We have to fight against unforgiveness. We have to fight against lust. We have to fight against addictions. We have to fight against a lack of communication. We have to fight against anxiety, fight against depression, fight against insecurities, fight against consumerism, fight against making kids the center of the marriage. You have to fight for your marriage. If we gave half the energy to fighting for our marriage that we devote to wondering if God would be okay if we could get out of this thing, our marriages would be way better off. Jesus is fighting for marriage, so should we. Number three, bring a biblical view of marriage to the world. Well, this is tricky, y'all. This is, this, is what we, this is what we do, okay? This is a biblical view of marriage that we're talking about, but it's one that we believe because of the Bible. We believe that it applies to all human beings regardless of their faith. Okay? The Bible is describing human marriage when it talks about covenant. It's not describing Jewish marriage or Christian marriage. Okay? We don't think there's a different standard for marriage. This is a human institution that God has put together, not a religious institution. Marriage is a common grace that preaches special grace. Super unique. All of the institutional good that marriage brings to society. And everybody agrees that it's great. But we also understand the meaning of the gospel that it portrays at the same time, the special grace. Let me put it a different way. Marriage is a profound union. And this union is a creation of God's, not a work of man. Whether you believe in God or not. Okay? The fact that a pastor or a priest or a justice of the peace legalizes a union for the government is very secondary to the fact that when you get married, you are forming a human, you're forming a covenant, a holy covenant. Even if you don't believe in it, you are. That's what's happening. Okay? Jesus just said, what God has joined together. God created a secular unit of marriage to display this unbreakable firmness of his love for people. And it does not lie within a human's rights to destroy that, okay? 
So we don't just fight for our marriages. We want to bring a biblical view of marriage to the world because that's what's best for the world and that's what gives glory to God. So we train up marriage counselors who get this. We support public policies that encourage and support traditional marriage and family structures. And on and on we go. We had to bring this to the world. Okay. Lastly, we minister to others with truth and love. Okay, truth and love. Oh, good night. Okay. So, if you if you want to see what Jesus might say to someone who is verse 9. Go read John 4 today. And what you'll see is a conversation between a woman who's been divorced four or five times. We don't know why. Probably, if the culture is correct and the Pharisees' question is reflective of reality, because she's been so easily dismissed, not for any fault of her own. And when Jesus enters into that conversation, a Samaritan woman, by the way, not even a Jew, there is zero condemnation, and there is 100%, you need to be satisfied with me. That is the message of the church to people broken and divorced. Jesus satisfies. The, the, the ministry of the church to the divorced population is Jesus satisfies. Jesus meets people where they are. If this verse 9 is you, I get it. Repent. <coughs> and, and if you're remarried, take off, love Jesus together. Jesus meets you where you are and he satisfies. Okay? Now, there are other issues, like our world is seemingly much more complex. I, I doubt that's the case. I think we just know more because of the internet and information and we've lived a long time and blah, 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 blah. But you know, what about an abusive husband? What about an abusive spouse? Or you know, could go the other way too, right? What, what about this? What about that? I understand that... It, it's those situa- these kinds of situations are, are very difficult. You know, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7 to an extent. He says, look, if you're a married you're a Christian and you're married, you become a Christian married to an unbeliever and, uh, and they leave, he says, let them, let them, let them go. It's like an, an abandonment clause. You, the, the divorce should be, you should not think that you were sinning in a divorce in that situation. So a lot of people will use that text and they'll say, look, you know, if somebody's being abusive to their husband, they have effect, to their spouse, they have effectively abandoned them in abusing them in a divorce is called for. You see the challenge of the ethics of bringing a biblical understanding of the covenant to bear in very hard situations. And what you need to know is that you're going to pray and you're going to be informed by wise, godly people who love the Bible and love you, and you're going to make a decision and you're going to go with God. That there's not going to be a black and white answer for very difficult ethical questions. Okay? And you're going to be in a church, especially if it's this one, who's going to love you and nurture you and care for you and support you and is going to be there for you as a person, okay? I know that's the case here. In other words, we're going to bring the gospel to bear as best we can in things that we may just cannot understand. Okay. You understand what Jesus is saying here? about how important marriage is and how the, the covenant that it is and how it speaks so powerfully to the gospel. 
and how much he, he, he wants to protect us from the pain that comes from that. And then in acknowledgement of it, we just start over and we take the next step and start following Jesus if these things happen. And we go in the grace that he gives us to do it. Ow. Okay. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to, uh, to live by it. We want to, we want to have covenant marriages. The, um, we don't want to have feelings that lead us to stay. We want the loving to be the staying. We want the loving to be the staying. We want to bring that truth to bear in this world. We want to be there for the difficult time. We want to be with each other during the hard times where it's not super clear what we're supposed to do. And we want to make you look good in all of it. This is our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.